today for the third Sunday of Advent. The theme is joy, and we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 61 in just a couple of minutes. But I want to talk to you uh, while you're turning there. Hope hope some of you have your Bibles. <clears throat> we'll be using them today. So as you're turning there, I want to talk to you a little bit about prophecy and prophets. Uh, the Old Testament refers to prophets by three different terms. The first two are similar, being Jose and Roe, and they have similar meanings, one being visionary and one being seer. Isaiah begins with the words, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The third term for prophet is Nabi, which uh, implies that part of the function of the prophet is to make announcements, to announce events as instructed by God. Now, what sort of things would the prophet see and what sort of announcements might might he uh, uh, make? Well, you've all I'm sure you've all been on a mountaintop somewhere. And and as you look at the horizon, you're going to see the valley down below. And that's the position of the people that the, that the prophet is addressing. The prophet is, is up on the mountaintop himself, and he's, as he's looking at the horizon, he's going to see a mountain peak here, and he's going to talk about that. And he's going to see another mountain peak over here, and he's going to talk about that. And then maybe another one a little bit farther out. Or they might all look like they're in the same time period. And as he talks about these different events as, as God reveals them to him, the people in the valley below might not be able to figure out exactly what he's talking about. Now, um, Isaiah is a perfect example of this. He's going to be talking about a number of different events as if they're, they fall in some sort of direct sequence, happen at certain periods of time, reveal certain things, but they're really all kind of scrambled up. Uh, who is he talking about? When is this going to happen? What, what is this messenger? Who is this servant? Is he talking about Israel? Is he talking about some king? Is he talking about a, a nation that's coming against Judah? Is he talking about something else? Uh, so Isaiah uh, might look something like this. As he's talking, he's saying, Your rebellion and your sins demand your judgment and punishment, but it's not from whom you think. It's from someone else. But your punishment does not last forever, for there will be redemption, and a hero will emerge to bring salvation, and his name will be everlasting, but he's going to be rejected and despised. He's going to be forever on the throne. And Jerusalem, well, it's going to be destroyed, but it's going to be rebuilt, but it's going to be destroyed again, but it's going to be glorified. Now, you can see how the people in the valley might be thinking, what's this guy talking about? And Isaiah himself, I think, might have a difficult time putting all these things in perspective. You know, he might even say... Why did I say, here I am, send me? I can't make sense of this. But only by 
understanding this concept of talking about different things, different events, different people, as if it's all like in the next week, but it's really about the scope of, of history, we, we, when we have that understanding, we pe- can begin to say, okay, he said this, and this is what I'm thinking about because he's told me that somewhere else. So we can make sense of it. So today we're going to we're going to look at Isaiah 61 1 through 4 and 8 to 11 and we're going to see how these verses this vision concerning the people of Jerusalem and Judah uh how it concerns them and then with the help of the New Testament we're going to look at how it concerns us as well and the people who'll come after us. So let's pray. Lord, I, I perhaps I've already confused this people here today with my words, so Holy Spirit, I pray that you teach us all from God's words. Teach us the truth about Jesus, the one called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, God with us. Amen. Well, join me. I'm going to read again the first four verses verses in the last four, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be made known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, and they are, that they are an offspring of the Lord that the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in, in my God. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown to to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Well, I could uh, break most of this down to you, but it looks like uh, I've got three minutes. Uh, <laughs> you're not in a hurry, are you? Just very quickly, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Who is the me that Isaiah is talking to here? Is it Isaiah? 
Is it Israel? Is it some future king? All of these concepts are wrapped up in different places throughout Isaiah. Isaiah 42, one of the first servant songs, is very interesting. At the first of the chapter, it talks about His servant that He will send out, that will open the eyes of those that are blind, that will that will speak to those who will hear. He's talking about His redemptive servant. But later on, He talks about His servant who will not see, who will not hear. And you're thinking... Is this is this that? No, I don't think so. This this is the redemptive servant. This is Israel the nation, which is also could be considered God's servant, but we know that Israel is blinded and Israel is deaf. So only by knowing those two things can you make sense of that passage. And here again, we don't know if exactly if Isaiah is thinking about the suffering servant that he's been discussing for the previous uh, ten or so chapters between 50 42 and 53. As Israel itself is called a servant in a number of different places, is he talking about Israel? We're 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 not real sure here. The one thing that we do know is that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon him. This is more about God than it is about the servant. For the Lord God, the sovereign God, is at action here. He is the one that has chosen, anointed, and He is the one who is empowering the servant to go forth and do these things. There's a number of things here that He's going to do. He's going to bring new, good news to the poor. And this doesn't just mean those that uh, are financially poor. It means the afflicted, really, to bind up the brokenhearted. The concept here is to bandage those that are broken inside. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Well, that might be the return out of exile from Babylonian couple of hundred years they may read this and they'll say this is that that he was talking about i can see it now the year of the lord's favor and the opening of prisons this sounds a little bit like the year of jubilee that they read about in leviticus 25 that as far as i know was never once practiced but it was a time when everything would be restored the land would return to the people All those in slavery would be released. Everything would be put back the way God had designed it. They never did it. A beautiful headdress, a celebration. All this, it sounds like that that marriage feast that Emmett mentioned. To build up the ancient ruins, Nehemiah 2. Former devastations, repair the ruined cities. And then it says, it talks to us about God. Who is God? Well, He's sovereign. He's just. He's faithful. He's redemptive. We see His character here, and as we look back on this passage in Isaiah, there's much for us here to know about God, to see His character at work in His people's lives, in His children that He selected. But is that all we have here? Just uh, some history about Israel, about Judah, 
for several hundred years? Was all this, did all this come to, to fruition? Has it all been completed? Has the prophecy been fulfilled? Not yet. But we have a little bit more information because you see, about 700 years later, some of this was reread. Let's take a look at uh, Luke 4. And you might want to just keep, let's try to follow along here in Isaiah if you've still got it open as I, as I read from uh, Luke 4. And I'm going to read part of the first verse, the 14th verse, and then 16 for a little while here. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He went to the synagogue on Sabbath day and He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the time of, in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, if Isaiah could have been here, I think it would have been his YouTube moment. I don't think he could have really fully comprehended it or understood it. Maybe he, along with the other Israelites there, may have said, "Ah, this just isn't what I was thinking about. Because you see, you know, one thing he's doing here, what Jesus is talking about, is irritating them because he's not talking about them. They did not accept Jesus' teaching because in talking about Elijah and the widow and Elisha and the Syrian, he is in essence saying it's not about you, 
Because even though I'm wearing garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness, you still will not see and you still will not hear. So, who is he talking about? And why does Jesus stop where he stops? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all the eyes of the, in the synagogue were fixed on him. Maybe they were thinking, well, why did he stop there? Where's the rest of the passage? They all knew it by heart. And there are a couple of things that are different about it. One thing Luke's passage mentions that the other one does not is is recovering of sight to the blind. And that that uh, the differences between these two scriptural passages often concerned me. I was like, doesn't Jesus know about Isaiah? Didn't why is why is this quote not exactly what Isaiah is saying? Well, that's a little technical thing. Uh, the actual Hebrew actually implies the opening of eyes, but it was it was translated more of a release from prison. Now, what scripture would Luke have had? Is he did his investigation and said and asked people, okay, what did Jesus do and when did he do it and how did he do it? They would have said, well, there was this one day when he picked up the scroll of Isaiah and he read from this passage. Now, as Luke would have researched that passage, he would have gone to the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. And it turned out that those, those particular scholars translated the Isaiah passage, the recovering of sight to the blind. So Luke would have picked up that passage and that's the one he would have used in Luke chapter 4. Does that make sense a little bit? Maybe it doesn't. But I'm just saying the two scriptures agree. Believe me, they, are, they agree. They, they are consistent with one another. The next and the glaring thing is why did he stop here with the day of vengeance of our, of our Lord? Why is that not included? And it's because from the time of Christ's first coming as a child until the day when He will be coming back to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God, this time that we're in is the year of the Lord's favor. It is the year of grace. They're not happening at the same time as Isaiah would would indicate in his passage. There's a large space in between, a different age, the time of his first coming to the time of his second coming. So what is this age we're in? What is it all about? It's the age of grace, amazing grace. Time out. God is redemptive right now. God is giving us a chance to participate in His salvific work. 
It is the age of the church. The year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. Well, it looked like it was all right there together, but it's not. And Paul kind of talks about it, and we've been studying about it, and it might, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel. Well, what's mysterious about it? Well, possibly Isaiah himself couldn't figure it out. Possibly these ancient ones, even the prophets themselves, couldn't put into perspective the things that we now experience. Paul talked about it in Ephesians 3. We have been looking at this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. His eyes open to it. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, the partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Has that grace also been given to us? (laughs) Amen. To preach to all the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In Colossians 1, he talks about it again and he says, For the sake of his body, that is the church, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Are you hearing it, church? He has instructed us to be His witnesses, to make His disciples, to baptize, to teach. That is our call. That is what we are to be about. This is the age of opportunity, the year of the Lord's favor, the year when He favors sinners like us and opens our eyes and opens our ears and those around us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, not Santa Claus. At the end of Acts, Paul again quotes the Isaiah passage from chapter 6 that we're familiar with. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you 
that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. We're still in that age. And others will listen as well. But we have to speak it. And I want to pause here for just a second. Now, God has not written the Jews off. They'll be brought along as well. Paul discusses it in Romans 11, and he uses, amazingly, two more verses from Isaiah. Mm -hmm. I I, I think Romans has like 50 different quotations from Isaiah in it. Basically, Paul is saying, this is that. This that I'm talking about is what Isaiah was talking about. Opening, open your eyes. And he says in Romans 11, he says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, Israel will be saved. A deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob and I will take away their sins. Zechariah says, the people of Jerusalem will, Jerusalem will look upon Him whom they have pierced and they will mourn and I will wipe away their sin. Well, we have much, much, much to be joyful about today. We have full bellies after receiving good food and we're among good friends And we're in a great church. But let's be careful lest we become complacent in this season. There's much work yet to bring in the fullness of the Gentiles. Mitch has told you that we need to plant a church. And Emmett has used the expression that this church is pregnant. It has to bring forth birth. We've seen the crack of an open door, but it's been slammed shut. And in our country that we've labored in, a door seemed to open up and again seems to have crashed shut. But God is still sovereign. Are we on our knees laboring before Almighty God to open our eyes to where He wants us to go, to what He wants us to do, to the things that we would say to bring in the fullness. It's okay to pause this time of the year and celebrate hymns of joy and feast at the table that He has prepared and look forward to that other table. But remember, Jesus just paused in the prophecy. He wasn't finished. The year of the Lord's favor is being fulfilled today. But the day of vengeance is still coming. Unreached people groups, that term is euphemistic. What we're really talking about is vengeance destined 
groups. There are people in Rome destined for the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. There are people in my family and in your family. Do we weep for these? Do we mourn for these? That psalm Adam read, those who sow in tears shall weep, shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing in his sheaves with him. Let's celebrate. It's the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of grace. It's the year of amazing grace. So let's feast. Let's feast with joy. And let this also be a feast of dedication. There's much work to do. Pray with me. O Lord God, like Isaiah, we tremble before You. Unworthy we are. Our lips are unclean. But we hear Your call, and we ask that You would purify us. And we say, here we are. Send us. Make us a church that thrives in your favor and that reaches a lost world. In Jesus' name, amen.